If you were to describe her to someone who'd never heard of her, how would you describe her? Mm. Uh, fairly indomitable. Um, ruthless. <laughs> She's a warrior queen. She's got a terrific sense of humour and you've only got to look at her to, to know that she's full of mischief. She's feisty. Uh, she knows her own mind. You know, she's a politician through and through. You know, she's certainly someone who's learned how to operate and operate well and cope well as a, as a politician. Uh, she's um, very comfortable in her own skin. She's got the, the methods of survival um, which includes keeping parts of your life and your family life really private. That's, that's such a big part of that, and, and she's obviously done well at that. She has the unfurrowed brow, and when you see that eyebrow raised, you know she's about to engage. She's very intelligent, but I've always said of her that she's like someone who has read The Art of War, the famous Chinese military tome, ancient and wise, but she's never quite finished any of the chapters. Well, in the latest chapter on National's Leadership Saga, Judith Collins is on top. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly, and today on The Detail, the brutality of politics with former Green MP Sue Bradford and a political commentator with business desk Jane Clifton. But first... We like to call her Crusher Collins. The lawyer who grew up on a Waikato farm is married to a Chinese Samoan businessman and has one son. But do we really know who she is? Well, we certainly know brand Judith Collins. There's no doubt about that. Barry Soper is Newstalk ZB's political editor. She obviously got into a lot of trouble just prior to the 2014 election uh, when she was seen to be undermining the head of the serious fraud office, Adam Feely. Uh, and that was in an exchange of uh, emails with uh, the whale oil blogger Cameron Slater, and they've had a pretty close association over the years. But, look, I don't think she'll be defined by that. I think she may be remembered by some for that. But uh, Judith Collins is feisty. She takes the fight to the government, and if you ask uh, Phil Twyford what it's like to be eviscerated by uh, Judith Collins, then uh, he probably wouldn't be able to tell you because I don't think he realised that it was happening to him. She's a very consummate politician when it comes to attack dog politics. And uh, I think that's what uh, this government has been missing from the opposition benches since Jacinda Ardern was appointed by Winston Peters as Prime Minister. I'm different from the Prime Minister. I think she is an excellent communicator. Um, I think she's just one of the most outstanding communicators that I've seen in my time in politics. But communication is not execution. And that's where she's fallen down. She is not surrounded by a group of people that she can have confidence in. She has three ministers that she seems to put all the work onto, Grant Robertson, Megan Woods and Chris Hipkins. And she doesn't have the luxury that I have, which is of people with experience. I keep hearing over the last few days that she's polarising. People seem to love her or hate her. But what makes her polarising? Because she's abrasive. Uh, she's a tough woman, and uh, I think you know the, the polarising nature of her uh, certainly is apparent in her caucus. But I think uh, in the wider um, National Party, she's a very popular figure. And I think you've got to remember that just over two months ago, pre-COVID, the National Party was 
uh, rating at uh, mid-40s, 45% plus. And that was under Simon Bridges, of course, as leader. Uh, so what she'll be trying to do is win back uh, the support that the National Party had. Uh, much of the support went because uh, I think people generally viewed Jacinda Ardern, rightly or wrongly, as the COVID conqueror. Uh, now, um, what uh, Judith Collins has got to do is reposition the National Party and convince uh, them, their supporters, that if National was in charge, nothing would be different. In terms of the health, I should say, that's the big ask that um, she'll be uh, putting out to the rank and file of the National Party. Getting back to that 2014-2015 period, that you know, that was a bad time for her. I mean, she was publicly humiliated by her own leader and that association with Cameron Slater, the, the right-wing blogger, isn't she tainted? I mean, can, can people get that out of their minds and just think about what they're voting for? Well, I heard uh, her being questioned about that. And um, what she essentially said is that uh, people have to learn from their mistakes. She's not specifically saying she made a mistake, but um, she says she's willing to learn from the mistakes. And I'm certainly not here to defend Judith Collins because she is very much her own person. And uh, during that uh, 2014, uh, after they won the election and Judith Collins had stepped aside, she said uh, on uh, her own, in fact, uh, in her book, she said it was John Key that pushed her, told her to stand aside or she'd be sacked. Uh, She said she did it for the good of the party so that she was no longer a distraction in that election campaign. Well, the following year, of course, uh, she spent uh, as a backbencher. And during that time, I'm sure, uh, she made a lot of friends on the backbench and they probably, uh, many of them, would have come to the fore in the latest uh, tussle for the leadership. Is there a problem with trust, though, because of that time? Well, you know, there will be a certain element, I would imagine, that... um, would say that, look, she's been tainted by dirty politics. But, look, politics isn't a pure game, and it's not for the faint-hearted. And uh, people in politics do things that ordinarily maybe they wouldn't do to gain power. Let's remember, most people that come into politics don't come in wringing their hands saying, how can we uh, damage the country? They come in with the best of intentions, Uh, to make the country a better place. And um, I would certainly put uh, not only Jacinda Ardern in that uh, uh, role, but uh, most definitely uh, Judith Collins as well. You know, that Crusher label, she she says she doesn't like it much because it's cartoonish. Yeah, it's not my favourite. I never use it myself. It is very one-dimensional and it is a caricature and a cartoonist dream, but it is not me. But she used that word herself, we're going to crush them and get back into government. Do you think she needs to, you know, reveal a bit more of herself to get people <laughs> voting for her? Well, you know, the, the, uh, in her book she credited me with um, dubbing her the crusher. And, of course, of course, it goes back to when she was police minister and she had promised that uh, the boy races cars would be crushed. Uh, in fact, she never ended up cr- uh, crushing one of them. Uh, that was left to Anne Tolley, who took over the ministry after Judith Collins, and there was only one car from memory ever crushed. But look, uh, I think in one way she quite likes it because uh, it gives her that uh, attack dog 
uh, image, which she's uh, become well known for. But on the other hand, she uh, probably uh, pushes it to one side when it uh, it doesn't suit. But look, she, in terms of um, her, uh, I guess, abilities and debating abilities in the parliament and the debating chamber, the crusher label suits her very well because that's exactly what she is. And I think, you know, if you look back um, over politics uh, in, over the years, that uh, a strong leader is uh, a popular leader. And I go back in my time in politics to uh, Rob Muldoon. She's been likened a bit to Rob Muldoon. She says it how it is. I don't think she would like the comparison. But, you know, to succeed in politics, you've got to be tough. You can't be kind all the time. You've got to be tough. And I think that um, in terms of toughness, uh, Judith Collins has got a, a rhinoceros hide. Her style of leadership, you, you hark back to many, many decades ago to the Muldoon era. So how would you see her leading her team? Oh, she's very different from Rob Muldoon, led by intimidation. And uh, those around him were basically sycophants. I don't think she engenders that. I think um, she's much more democratic than that. And uh, I know it took a while for her caucus colleagues to get used to the idea that Judith Collins may lead them. But I think once they've now got used to that and once they see her perform as leader, uh, they'll be thankful that they made the change. I had a quick read through her book last night. You know, she talks about as a child, she discovered at a very early age that she likes politics and she likes being a leader. I guess it's taken her a long time. But one of the things that you get from that book is a real uh, feeling of self-belief. And people always say, oh, you're so resilient. Well, you know, I know why it's... Read that. It's all about um, having that self-confidence to be able to keep on going and having a family that supports me. You know, the point that she made when she um, came out to the media the first time as the leader, she was came from a Labour voting family, uh, and uh, she didn't quite say it, but I'm sure she would have liked to, to have said it. Uh, she saw the light. You know, if you look at the people that um, vehemently support uh, Judith Collins, was one person that came in in the same year that she did was Don Brash. And um, he feels that uh, she's got the metal that it takes to uh, lead the party, maybe not to victory this time. If she survives uh, until the next election, maybe there would be a better contest. I love causes that are looking pretty tough. (laughs) And that's where I tend to get really interested. But uh, this time, really, it's going to take a Herculean effort And I don't know whether uh, the National Party uh, really can achieve that. It's a a brutal old business, isn't it? Part of of these things is knowing when it's not for you. Once you you know in your heart that you cannot do this for whatever reason, then you've really got to uh, put your hand up and walk away. The one thing is, it would have actually got worse during the heat of a campaign. You know it's a tough business politics and it does take its toll on people. I mean, Claire Curran's incoherent account in the House springs to mind as well. But nobody nobody likes to see it. Your every movement, your every word is um, open to scrutiny, not just from the media, from rival parties, from rivals within your own party. 
Todd Muller's shock resignation citing the heavy toll of the job on his health and on his family shows just how brutal politics is. Pressure was coming from me from within the Greens to not continue to speak on that issue even though I was still, you know, that was still a live debate and the media were coming to me on it and and I was told to shut up because that, even that was seen as too radical by parts of the Green Party and I just couldn't believe it. Former Green Party MP Sue Bradford says her toughest time in politics was during her campaign on Section 59 of the Crimes Act, the so-called anti-smacking bill. What you have to cope with is so diverse and the pressures come from so many different directions. You're keeping your eye on so many different balls. Sue, did you know what you were in for when you went into politics? I don't think anyone really knows what it's like to be an MP till you get to Parliament. I, I certainly, I wouldn't say that I knew, but I think that um, 16 years of working in the unemployed workers movement equipped me well. <laughs> it was kind of the opposite experience of a business person um, in that I was working in, in the roughest, most poverty-stricken part of the um, community sector as you can get and a very tough politics. Um, but I think it was a really good training um, in, in having to deal with constant constant challenges, attacks, pressures from inside your own organisations and pressures from outside. I think in terms of my own survival or whatever I did manage to achieve when I was in Parliament, a lot of that was around staying true to the kaupapa that I believed in and staying true to the the places that I came from. And I think that congruence is part of it and that maybe Mr Muller was starting to struggle with that a bit. You're talking there about Section 59 of the Crimes Act, the so-called anti-smacking bill, which is the thing that you're probably best known for um, from your time in politics. And things got pretty ugly for you within your own party, but across the board, really. I mean, you got you got death threats during that time. Yep, and, and huge numbers of abusive communications, and, and a lot of it was very nasty. Um, and being on public, I mean, there was four years of it, really, of being, because I, I just went anywhere, I would speak anywhere, I, I refused to be intimidated. But at the same time, it was both quietly and openly, um, people said the nastiest things. I mean, the Death threats and, and threats of physical violence and sexual violence, I suppose, are the worst. But, um, but I mean, other MPs have to deal with that at times too. What does it take to put up with that kind of thing? You know, what what do you have to have to be able to get through it and cope with those kind of attacks? Really good support from your party <laughs> and internally from your staff, um, but of course from my own family, the, my husband and, the, and my children, from friends, like right through Parliament. I went in there with a group of political friends, you know, who I said, if I'm ever starting to crumble or if I'm selling out, let me know and I'm leaving. Anyone ever say that to you, that you're starting to crumble? Not till I did. <laughs> Not till I did. One of the things we're discovering is that, you know, you don't really know if you've got the chops for it until you're right in the thick of it. And a lot of people come into politics, um, especially those who've been successful in in other spheres like, you know, business and the law and and even journalism. You know, we think we're pretty scrappy and resilient. Um, And really, most journalists who've gone into politics have not done very well because they've found it too tough and too, uh, yeah, too bruising.
Jane Clifton's been covering politics for most of her adult life, including 24 years writing for The Listener. Now she's a political columnist for Business Desk. And of course, Todd, Todd Muller found that after all, he did not have the temperament to endure it. Because I think the point at which it gets nasty is when you're the leader and you're presiding over a whole world of dreadful errors and bad behaviour, and you don't deal with it in a timely and robust fashion. He found that in the end he didn't have the chops to amputate inconvenient individuals in a a timely fashion, and then the nastiness started on him, and that was pretty hard to watch. Um, No matter what you think of political leaders, it's, it's always hard to watch them clearly suffering, and as sometimes happens, they're completely out of their league. And it's interesting, I mean, this is the only time I've seen a leader topple um, and people are not actually kicking him while he's down. Everybody's very sorry about it. But but you must see that time and time again. Um, well, there are less surprising bad behaviours or, or, or missteps. I mean, you know, there are people like Phil Twyford who, you know, keep making the same mistake over and over again. Um, in, in terms of his his bombast and then being unable to deliver what, what he's sort of rhetoricised about for you know, months and sometimes years. But sometimes politicians, they may as well say, you know, a big boy did it and ran away. <laughs> it, it sounds that pathetic. It really is the time when you've got, to, you've got to be absolutely crisp and quick with your apology. And, you know, you may be forgiven. I mean, Judith Collins has done a few bad miscalls in her time, including when she mercilessly verbaled TV journalist Katie Bradford. I mean, that was just awful, awful. I I did not think that anyone could recover from a performance like that on camera, Um, but she has. Look at her now. She's a a bit of a model of how to survive. Yeah, well, why? How has she got through that? Because it's about kind of getting through the public humiliation and the and the attacks from all corners, and also within your own party, isn't it? Well, one thing she's always had going for her is that she is competent. And, I mean, to my and a lot of people's surprise, um, John Key gave her another chance in Cabinet, and she excelled. Um, She is very, very good at being Minister. She's also somebody who's very good at cultivating friendships and loyalty, so it's a polarity in that um, a lot of people in that caucus don't trust her because they've felt let down by her before. But at the same time, anyone who's ever worked for her speaks very highly of her. And I think she's taken her medicine. She's got a very strong constitution. And um, I think her skill in being able to smile and raise one eyebrow at a time is is probably quite a a good weapon as well. well, but what does it take to be a survivor, though, Jane? I think that a lot of us just look in there and say, how did they do it? I, I think it's something that, you know, social media has sharpened up. You know, when you are a politician being attacked on social media, it, you will read the most vile things. You know, it used to just be letters to the editor and nasty journalists and spiteful colleagues. Now the whole world can have a go at you. And you've got to read those column, comments, I think, and think, the way that person is going after me, do I actually respect someone who would do that? Not to my face, but just casually from their desktop at home. I think you've got to sort very carefully for whose 
comments you're going to respect, who, whose regard you, you want to have and who doesn't matter. I mean, there are people out there who regularly slag the Prime Minister, who's one of the most popular people we've ever had in politics. Same went for John Key. I mean, he knew he wasn't universally adored. You've just got to be very self-protective about who you let get to you. I remember John Key said he didn't read social media because why would you let that stuff into your head? And I think that's that's the sort of self-discipline you need. Yeah, I, I suppose it's a bit like um, criminal lawyers who have to defend people who've done really terrible things. You've got to bear in mind that you know there's a there's a higher purpose, which in that case is the justice system. In this case, it's you know trying to find a good way forward, the best possible way forward for your country. And you know, as high-minded as that sounds, I think that's that's another coping mechanism that successful politicians have, and especially the ones who are, who have constituencies. You know, they can always lean back a bit on the fact that they will have helped dozens and dozens of people. You know, I remember Claire Curran when she was in her, her period of trouble. She, you know, went back to her electorate and was fated. At the worst times, you can usually tell yourself, well, it doesn't matter what they think of me in Wellington. Here at home, they reckon I'm pretty useful. And that's, you know, that can be a consolation. Finally, some words on Collins from Jane Clifton, Sue Bradford and Barry Soper. I don't think she's quite as strategically brilliant as she thinks she is in some of the things that she's got up to in politics over the years. However, here she is. She's the crash pilot. It's a big job. They're trusting her to save their seats, not just to try and have a crack at the government, but it's you know it's at a, a juncture where the tide could very very badly go out for, for for them all. So it's a very high wire job that she's got, and that's kind of a. It's a it's a compliment, somewhat of a backhanded compliment, but uh, you know if anyone can can pull the fat from the fire, it's probably going to be her. She's got a big enough personality and she's brave enough to do whatever it takes. She can be incredibly charming and pleasant. There's no question. But um, I think again to succeed in politics, you have to be able to do that. Otherwise, you don't get support from people. <laughs> You have to be able to charm at least your part of the um, electorate that you want votes from. So, so anyone worth their salt is going to have that charm, whether you're Judith Collins or anyone else. Lastly, Barry, is it true that you once said about her that the softest thing about Judith Collins is her teeth? Absolutely. And uh, <laughs> because it is. I said the same, though, I've got to say of Helen Clark, that uh, the, these two women are very, very strong women, and um, they are good. I would imagine Judith Collins hasn't proven her mettle yet, but Helen Clark was what, probably one of the best leaders in terms of leading her own uh, caucus and cabinet team. And I think you'll find, once um, they unleash uh, Judith Collins on the government, that she'll have that same sort of loyalty from the team that's around her in opposition. That's it for today. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, leave us a rating so other people can find us too. Today's episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansell and produced by Alexia Russell. And thanks to Sue Bradford, Barry Soper and Jane Clifton. Kakite anō. Kite anō.